just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast, and I mean we are back. I'm back in Minnesota. I'm recording this on Friday morning, the day after the 8th January 6th hearing. And we got some shit to talk about, trust me. Now, here's the problem, though. I had to catch up once I got back. My flight was supposed to be back in town at like 4 o'clock. I was going to sit and watch the hearing. But it got bumped to 6.40, so I was in the air when the hearing was going on, so I've been doing all kinds of trying to catch up. In addition, when we left, we were supposed to leave on uh, Sunday, but they pushed it back to Monday. Now, I'm not going to get on the airline about this. This is something that's a problem with all airlines, the circumstances of the day. Fortunately, my wife and I have a lot of free time, so it didn't really hurt us too much. I wished... I would have had the opportunity to watch the uh, hearings, though. But I'm getting a lot of the clips and a lot of information. Uh, I'll probably watch the hearing later today just to get a sense of what it was all about. But it sounded interesting. It sounded pretty damning for Donald Trump. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Now, as you know, I was down in Georgia. And the reason I went down to Georgia is because I love fucking Georgia, but and my wife loves Georgia too. My whole family loves Georgia. But the reason we went down there, as I told you, uh, we were looking at buying a small condo. Nothing elaborate, nothing hugely expensive. You might look at my TikToks and say, well, he's got a lot of followers. He must make a lot of money off that. No, I don't. <laughs> I make a few pennies here, a few pennies there, but nothing to speak of. Certainly not enough to go buy property with. And same goes for the podcast here. Anchor kicks in a few pennies here and there, depending on how many people listen. But it's, you know, we're talking $20 here, $20 there. It's not a lot of money. Fortunately, my wife was smart enough where I wasn't smart enough to invest her money when she started teaching way back when. So we had some money and we bought this mainly for us and our kids and their families and a place to go because it's such a great location, you know. You live, If you're in Savannah, you've got Tybee a short different distance away. You've got Hilton Head a short distance away. You've got Historic Savannah. You've got Charleston. It's just a wonderful place. The people are just amazing. I'm really happy to uh, have been able to purchase a small condo down there. And uh, I wanted to bring something up because I'm a firm believer that uh, when somebody does something well, you mention it just as much as when somebody did something bad. We all talk about the bad stuff, but I want to talk about the good stuff. Actually, in this situation, I got some bad, I got some good. Let's talk about the good first. I'm not a big fan of uh, the whole buying and selling of houses. I hate it. It's just a pain in the ass. It's a stressful thing. I'll tell you a quick story before I tell you what I'm going to tell you. Uh, When my wife and I bought our house that we raised our kids in, the bigger house, 
we'd sold a house in a suburb, a smaller house, and then we bought this bigger house. And it was just a headache from top to fucking bottom. It was stressful every day for about two months, and I just hated it. Now, we got to the uh, closing, and fortunately, we got everything ironed out, and the deal was done. Our other house was sold. We purchased this house, and it's all over, and we're sitting in the closing. (laughs) And I got real estate people. I got uh, closers and title people and all this stuff, and they're all looking at me smiling. They say, well, the deal's done. It's your house. Do you have anything to say? I'm sure you've all been in that situation if you purchase property. And I'm just so relieved that I'm done with the bullshit. (laughs) And much to my wife's chagrin, she did not really like me making this comment. But uh, it's kind of in line with Rational Boomer. Say what you think. Don't be afraid of shit. So anyway, they said, you got the house. Are you excited? What do you have to say? And I looked at all of them. I looked across the room and I said, you know what I'm most happy about? They said, what? And I said that I won't have to talk to any one of you son of a bitches ever again. (laughs) They were surprised. My wife was surprised and not very happy. But we got the fucking keys and got out of there. I was tired of that shit. Anyway, that's a long time ago. In this particular instance, we were looking for condos in Savannah, Georgia. We didn't know if we'd find anything or not. And I came across a real estate agent. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of real estate agents. I've run into some bad ones in my time. But I happened upon one in Savannah that I really liked. His name is David Schaffner. I'm going to give him a plug here. David Schaffner and Coldwell Banker. It's right on Abercorn Street there. And uh, he was the real estate agent that dug what out, dug out what we were looking for. And I got to say, man, as much as I'm not a huge fan of real estate agents, not always. I mean, I know there's plenty of good ones. I just happen to run into bad ones. But this guy did everything I asked him to do, found everything we wanted to find, got everything done. And then when it came down to getting the deal done, he was on top of it every step of the way. He did a wonderful job. I'll just tell you, if you're going to Savannah and looking to buy or sell a house down there, definitely call David. Tell him I sent you. He's a good dude. He does the job. And that's what exactly what I expected. Unfortunately, in previous times, I never got what I expected. It was always worse than that. Now, as much as I would recommend David Schaffner highly, there was another realtor involved in this situation. Now, I never met him, never met him, which is weird because he is the representative that uh, was representing the seller. Okay, we're buying the place. They're selling the place. We get to closing. (laughs) My real estate agent's there. But the other guy's real estate agent isn't there. I mean, let's be honest. The guy who owned the condo before was an investor. He's in another state. He wasn't going to show. But you would think the real estate agent would show. And I thought, well, what the hell? I don't give a shit. Let's just get this done. Let's just get this done. So we're sitting in the closing. And uh, we said, so where are the keys? He says, well, we're waiting for a FedEx package that never came. 
And uh, so my real estate agent said, so are we supposed to believe that the only key that exists is the key that was in the lockbox? And, you know, the guy, the closer, he doesn't know. It's not his fault. He says, well, it's supposed to come, but it doesn't come. Didn't come. Okay. <laughs> I can deal with that because I got one key. I can go down to Home Depot, make three more keys. I'm cool. It's going to cost me three bucks max. No big deal. Then we came to the idea of the key for the mailbox. There's no key to the mailbox. And then there's supposed to be these cards to get in the pool and all that kind of stuff, you know, get down to the marsh and whatever. There's supposed to be cards, and there were no cards. So I just assumed when I went and talked to the office that they'd give me a key for the mailbox. They probably had that. And they'd give me new cards for me owning it. Except when I sit down with the manager, she says, yeah, no, you're supposed to get the key from the previous owner. I go, what if I can't get it? She said, well, then you'll have to get a locksmith out there, out here and uh, change the lock on the mailbox. I go, how much fucking mail am I going to get here? And I said, what about the cards, though? I need the cards. Can you get me a couple of cards? He goes, well, you're going to have to pay for them. I said, okay, what I'm thinking, 10 bucks. Okay, yeah, fine. She goes, no, there's 70 bucks a piece. I go, what? 70 bucks for fucking cards? And and I had to hold back because it wasn't her fault. I wasn't mad at her. I was just mad at this whole situation. So what we have is a real estate agent on my side that did an outstanding job. Don't forget the name David Schaffner, Coldwell Banker in Savannah. The other guy, you're probably thinking to yourself, there's no way Mike would give his name. Fuck, I wouldn't. His name is uh, Chris Whipper, W-I-P-P-E-R. He has his own organization. And from what I've gathered, from who I've talked to, who's actually talked to him, he's an arrogant, lazy bastard that just doesn't do anything that he doesn't want to do. Doesn't show up to a closing, doesn't provide the stuff he's supposed to provide, but I'll bet you this, I'll bet you he grabbed that commission check fast as he could and cashed that motherfucker. <laughs> so the, the moral to the story is if you go down to Savannah and you're looking to sell or buy a house, call David Schaffner. It'll work well for you. But do not call Chris Whipper because he's a lazy fuck that doesn't do shit but cause people problems. Why I'm particularly disturbed by this is because I spent some time in business as kind of a broker, not in real estate, but something else. And one of the things I learned about being a broker, if you want to be successful, you make sure both sides are happy and feel like they won. Because if you don't, the deals stop. If you feel like they won, the deals go on forever. It's simple common sense, and apparently this fuck on the other side doesn't have it. Now, we'll pay the 60 bucks or 70 bucks for the cars and the keys and all that stuff. That's not a big deal. It just annoys me when somebody has a job, expects to get paid for it, and doesn't do jack shit. That's annoying to me. That shit's got to stop. Anyhow, enough with the uh, review and the advertisement. Not really an advertisement. Nobody's paying me to say this shit. If anybody ever does pay me to say shit, guaranteed I believe everything I'm saying. Because I don't care how much money it is. If I don't believe it, I'm not saying it.
I've had people send me stuff for ads that just didn't make sense. I said, nah, I'm not fucking doing that. All right, we got some emails. Let's get to the emails, if you will. First one comes from a lady. I don't think I've, maybe I've seen letters before from her. I'm not sure. She says, Mike, first of all, let me say I love your podcast. Well, Sissy, I love you because you love my podcast. I found you when I first joined TikToks. I was so excited when you followed me on TikTok. You were one of my first followers. Happy to do it, Sissy. You absolutely made my 60th birthday when you wished me happy birthday on Facebook. Let me just say, I try to keep up with Facebook as much as I can. If I miss your birthday or something like that, it wasn't intentional. It's just me being old and not paying attention. But happy birthday, sissy. She says, I love listening to you and Ed. I think Ed lives in or near my hometown, Johnson City, Tennessee. I believe he does. I'm not going to give his home city. Maybe he's already done that, but I, I don't want to do that to him. We graduated from the same university. Tell Ed I'll be looking for him at the ETSU homecoming. Well, you might see him at the homecoming, but I guarantee you didn't graduate with him. Because you're 60, he's 72, I think he is. So he's a bit ahead of you. But I'll let him know. I'll send him the email. He'll like to see that. She goes on to say, I'm 60 years old and I'm afraid for the lives and future of my son, my future grandchildren. I have no trust in the legal system, the state or federal government anymore. There has always been corruption, but the tip of the iceberg over the last few years has been unimaginable. I have many of my friends listening to you. Thank you for that. Thank you for helping us understand everything in the news. Well, let me tell you something, Sissy. I I, I get posts all the time. I got a post from somebody recently on one of my uh, a comment in one of my posts, and she said she was talking to her son about me, and it was a very complimentary post. But she said th- something that stuck out to me. She said. I was explaining to my my son how you, Mike, has this weird optimism about everything that's going on. (laughs) I took a little offense to it. I wasn't mad, but I said, look, man, I personally think anybody who walks into any situation assumes they're going to lose, assumes the worst, and assumes it's negative. That, to me, is weird. That, to me, is weird. Look, sissy, you're 60 years old. I'm 62. Between you and I, I bet you we've all gone through some shit. We've had some tragedies, tribulations, trials, disasters, scary moments in time. But you know what the important thing is, sissy? You and I are still sitting here. Somehow we got through all that stuff. And to suggest that now we won't get through this stuff is crazy. You got to keep it positive, sissy. You got to think about it in a positive way. It's going to all work out ultimately. It's going to be difficult and it's going to be troubling, but it'll get we'll get through it. Don't worry. All right, this next one comes from Fred. He's been a regular writer. He's been on the show. Did a great job, by the way. Uh, hey, Mike, hope Georgia was great. It was. I love Georgia. I love the people in Georgia, in Savannah particularly. Wonderful folks. And then he goes on to say, but enough vacation for you. Get back to work. I will. In all seriousness, the shows with Trevor and Jenna were a great change of pace. Hearing about Trevor's experience growing up 
were were difficult to hear, but at the same time, it made me realize even more that we need to get as many Trumple fucks out of office as possible. I didn't know to what to expect at the beginning of the show, but I'm glad you had him on and allowed him to share his experiences. The show with Trevor, with Trevor was an interesting one, and I was a little uncomfortable with it because when we got into it, at first I was uncomfortable. After that, it was fine. But, uh, you know, I thought we'd talk politics like we normally talk politics, and Trevor certainly has a point of view, and we talked about that a little bit. But I was more intrigued by Trevor because, and I told Trevor this, I'm not speaking out of school. I said, Trevor, you're a young man. You seem tentative, and I understand your, your 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 history and your experiences lead you to this point. I said, but man, you got to step it up. You got to be more confident in yourself any way you can. I think I told him off the air. I said the best way to become confident is have small goals. Have a goal, reach it, get a little bit of confidence. Get another small goal. Reach it, get more confident, and slowly build your confidence until you finally realize you're a lot smarter than you're giving yourself credit for. You're a lot stronger than you're giving yourself credit for. But you got to get in that area. I like talking to Trevor. Trevor's a good kid, and he's got a lot of potential to do some things. And I will tell you this about Trevor. After that little <laughs> hype speech I gave him, he came back and um, he sent me a note. And he says, guess what, Mike? I uh, I applied to get an internship into a nonprofit. I want to work in nonprofits, and uh, uh, I'm going to get in there, get in the bottom floor, and work my way up and learn as much as I can do. I said, that's amazing. That's fucking amazing. Because um, that's what I was trying to get you to do. Just go out and grab something. Don't worry if it's a if it's a big money job right now. Get on the path. I told my kid this too. First thing you do is you got to get on the path. Do the work. Even if you don't make a million dollars right off the bat, as long as you're on the path, you'll get to where you end up end up where you're supposed to be ultimately. But you got to get on the path and you got to keep moving. So thankfully, and I'm sure you're all happy to hear Trevor has done that. I wish him the best luck. I told him if you ever need questions answered or just a boost in your uh, confidence, fucking email me or call me or whatever. We'll put you on the show again. I was happy to do it. So congratulations to Trevor and thank you for those comments, Fred. He goes on to say, Jenna's show was great as well as was her first one. Her experience registering to vote reinforced the Republicans are practicing voter suppression and they need to be voted out. She was spot on when she finally said, why doesn't this country care about women? There's no other way to put it. Finally, she had the best one-liner when you ask, who would even vote for Mike Pence? And she said, mother, He says that was a perfect response and had me laughing for quite a while. It did me too. As always, thank you for all you do, Fred. Now, this last one is a great email. But the person who wrote it said, ah, maybe you shouldn't read that because I think it's it's like gushing. I said, well, if that's what you meant to say, that's what we're about here at the Rational Boomer. Say what you believe with no fear. Now, you think I'm talking about a bad email here. It's not. It's actually a great email, very complimentary email, not of me, 
but a very complimentary email. And this person thought it might be too gushy and stuff. Fuck that. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to read the email. I told you I'm going to read the email. Just won't give your name if you feel uncomfortable. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, but the words you wrote need to be said because it's going to be a big help and a big boost to somebody else. And why not fucking do that? And I concur with everything she said here. She she says, hi, Mike. So I just wanted to say that today's podcast with Jenna was the best one ever. I loved her and was riveted. She has been your best speaker to date. Every point she made, I pumped my fist in agreement and yelled, yes, girl, out loud in my car. She and I are cater cousins, which is an old English term meaning roughly friend of heart. I loved her in today's podcast. I wish I could be friends with her in real life. I know you've had a podcast with you, Fred and Ed, and I'm wondering if we could do one with you. Jenna and I. Today's podcast may have been uh, pre-recorded, but it felt so fresh. It was so spot on. Uh, It spoke to me as a woman, as a historian, a lover of politics. Jenna was refreshing, real, and new. And she was uh, talking about her passion for women's issues and politics was definitely genuine and I was riveted. Anyway, not to be long-winded, but today's podcast was amazing, and I can't wait to hear more women's voices on your podcast, and I thank you so very much for amplifying our voices. You are the best. Regards, not given the name. Uh, Only just in case she feels uncomfortable. I don't know why she would feel uncomfortable. It's a great email, and uh, it's well-stated, and it's well-placed. Jenna does do a great job. I met Jenna a while ago. Um, and, and, and you know, it's funny. Well, I won't get into that. Jenna was a little reticent about sending emails and being on the air, too. <laughs> and the last show we did, uh, the one that this, this writer likes so much, she says, you know, I'm finally feeling it. I'm finally feeling it. I was a little better this time than I was the first time, but the next time we do it, I'm just going to let loose and not worry about shit. There you go. That's exactly what we want from people who are on the Rational Boomer podcast. Speak your mind. Say whatever the fuck you want because it's your show as much as my show. If you don't want me to give your name, that's fine, too. We don't have to give your name. But too many people sit back on the things they want to say. Um, they maybe don't give compliments or give criticism when they should, afraid it's going to be perceived a certain way. Well, I'll be honest with you. If I felt that way, if I was worried about how people would perceive it, (laughs) I wouldn't be doing a fucking show. I tell you that right now, there would be no show. Uh, But, and, and, and I don't do it just for the show. What you hear from me is pretty much how I am. And again, much to the chagrin of some of my family members and friends. People are people are troubled. Some people are troubled by those people who are very confident and speak their truth or speak out bluntly. People are uncomfortable about that. And and 
I think it, I think the confidence aspect of it, it really has to do with the fact that if somebody sees you be confident, they think to themselves, how can they be so confident? They must be arrogant. I would never think that. I would never be that confident in myself. Well, if you think that, the problem isn't with the confident person. The problem is with you. You should have that confidence. You should have that forthrightness to be able to say what you fucking think. That's what the First Amendment rights all about. I mean, you got to keep it in reason. You don't want to get fired and shit. But speaking up, speaking out right now at this day and age and this particular climate and pol- politics, you better be fucking speaking out. Somebody's got to speak out to straighten this shit out. You got to. And the, and the other thing is there are people who will look at you um, sideways if you are blunt. Now, let me tell you, what you hear on this podcast is exactly who I am and how I talk. And it does put people off sometimes. Not all people. People who know me kind of become used to it. But people who don't know me take a step back when I speak bluntly. Like, for example, with this real estate thing, I'm sitting with the guy that's doing the the, the closing, and I, I spoke out very clearly about this other realtor that didn't show up. And he looked at me like, oh, I never heard anybody say that. But here's the deal. I get people who speak bluntly to me, even if it's bad stuff they say to me. Um, I respect it. At least I know what I'm fucking dealing with. People who don't speak bluntly, it's a lot like racism. I I met some people down in Savannah, and they said, you know, the one thing about the Trumplifux, there is no hiding. There is no bullshit. You know exactly who you're dealing with. But in other parts of life, there are people who are racist but smile at your face, and those people are harder to deal with, and that's true. I would rather have somebody be blunt with me and maybe hurt my feelings. Uh, I probably wouldn't let them off that easy. But, you know, I, I appreciate people being blunt and people being honest. We're in a day and age where people have been apathetic and sat back and just been quiet. This is not the time for that anymore. This is the time to speak up, speak out, and speak the truth as best you know it. If you can't do that, you really can't change anything. Yes, there'll be people who don't like you, but who gives a fuck? This is one of the problems I have with people in my family and friends of mine. They're ultra concerned with how people perceive them and whether they like them. So sometimes they will alter what they say, even if it's not their real truth, just to make sure people like you. Here's the news. If people don't like you, it doesn't matter what you say. They will fucking not like you. But the important thing is, who gives a fuck? Throw caution to the wind. Let the chips fall where they may. Be yourself. There will be people who like you, people who love you, and people who don't like you. It's no different if you try to try to uh, schmooze these people. You still have people that don't like you and like you and love you and stuff. So why put in all that extra work? Why put... Put that stress on your back. Just be you. Fuck anybody who doesn't like you. Who cares? Who fucking cares? I got to tell you, if you can get to that point in your life, it is very freeing. 
<laughs> and I'm as free as you can get because I don't give a fuck who doesn't like me. Now, my wife might have trouble with people not liking me. I just don't. And she looks at me like I'm weird. You don't care if they like you? Fuck no. I am who I am. If you like me, great. If you don't, I don't care. If you can get to that point, trust me, I know from experience that is very freeing and takes a lot of stress off your shoulders. Well, thank you for the emails. I've had so many emails and so many other comments, I haven't even got to the stories yet. So we're probably going a little longer than we normally do, and that's fine. I've done it with some of the guests, and they say, well, we're going a little long. I'm sorry. Fuck that. It's my show. I'll go two hours if I want to. The only reason I don't go two hours is because I don't want to tie people up that long. I try to fit it in an hour. Some of the shows have been going like an hour 10, hour 20, hour 30. If that's what it is to get the show done, that's what we're going to fucking do. I got no guy with a suit telling me you can't say that, you can't go long, you can't go... Fuck that. We're just doing what we do. Finally, some freedom in this world, (laughs) at least for me. All right. We will take a quick break, and we will be back, and we'll talk about some of the actual serious news that's going on with the January 6th hearings. We'll be right back. All right. Time to get to the business at hand. The 8th January 6th committee hearing last night, prime time. I was aching to watch it, but I was on a fucking airplane when it happened. So I spent a couple of hours prior to doing the podcast trying to catch up on it. So I'll do the best I can. By tomorrow, I'll pretty much know everything I need to know. Or actually, by later today, I'll know everything I need to know. But I learned a lot, and I'm not surprised. Of course, It was as compelling as every other January 6th committee and then some. As I've told you, it's going to get more damning and more damning for Donald Trump every hearing. Now, the January 6th committee, in its final public hearing until the fall, remember that, presented damning new evidence Thursday highlighting then-President Donald Trump's three-hour refusal to publicly condemn the unfolding insurrection at the U.S. Capitol or to call the violent mob. The primetime session, the eighth hearing so far this summer, focused on the 187 minutes between Trump telling his supporters to march to the Capitol and when he finally told them to go home. The hearing was co-led by Representative Elaine Luria, a Virginia Democrat, and Republican Adam Kinzinger of Illinois two former Trump White House aides who resigned in the immediate aftermath after the attack, Matthew Pottinger and Sarah Matthews, testified in person yesterday. And uh, there's a number of takeaways for this. Now, the committee used Thursday's hearing to show how Trump not only failed to act but chose not to as he watched the violent assault on the U.S. Capitol unfold. Several witnesses with firsthand knowledge of what happened inside the White House on January 6th, they told the committee that Trump did not place a single call to any of his law enforcement or national security officials as the Capitol attack was unfolding, according to previously unseen video testimony played during Thursday's hearing. Now, here's the thing. Donald Trump is screaming and yelling. There's nobody to counteract, nobody to uh, speak out against the witnesses. There's nobody, no Republicans. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Donald. 
There hasn't been one Democrat that testified. Every one of these fucking people have been Republicans. Every one of these people have worked closely with your administration. Every one of these people were paid for by you uh, through the government, and they were working for you. So don't tell me about no opposing testimony. (laughs) These are the fucking people, the only people that could oppose the testimony because they were there. So stop that bullshit. The panel said it confirmed in numerous interviews with senior law enforcement and military leaders, Vice President Mike Pence staff, and the D.C. government officials, none of them, not one, heard from President Trump that day, Luria said. The committee used the testimony to make the case that Trump's refusal to intervene amounted to a dereliction of duty. And a failure to his oath. Former uh, former officials who were with Trump as he watched the riot unfold on television, including then-White House counsel Pat Cipollone and Trump's body man Nick Luna, told, I don't even know what that means, uh, told the committee that had no knowledge of the former president making a single call to the heads of various agencies who could have responded to the violence, including the Secretary of Defense or Attorney General. Now, the Secretary of Defense was important to talk to because the National Guard in D.C. is overseen by the fucking Pentagon. And guess who was there? Michael Flynn's brother was in charge of it. Keith Kellogg, Pence's national security advisor, who was also with Trump that day, testified that he never heard the former president ask for National Guard or law enforcement Response. He kept wanting to tell us that that's Nancy Pelosi's job. No, it fucking wasn't, Don. It was your job, Don. You fucking dropped the ball. Now, you didn't actually drop the ball. You had it play out exactly the way you wanted it to play out. You wanted these people to be successful in their insurrection. Kellogg also reaffirmed that he would have been aware if Trump had made such an ask. Matthews, the former White House spokeswoman, said she spoke with White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany uh, during the ride, and McEnany looked directly at me in a hushed tone, shared with me that the president did not want to include any sort of mention of peace in the tweet they were crafting. No, of course he didn't. He wanted these fuckers to get violent so he could overthrow the government. It's pretty clear what he wanted to do. To me, his refusal to act and call off the mob that day and his refusal to condemn the violence was indefensible, Matthew said. Now, the testimony fit with other evidence presented on Thursday, like the outtakes of Trump's videotaped speech on January 7th, where he tried to water down some of the prepared language and told his aides, I don't want to say the election's over, okay? Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley told the House Select Committee that he was astonished by the fact that he never heard from Trump as the Capitol attack was unfolding, suggesting his failure to act amounted to an abdication of duties as commander-in-chief, according to previously unseen video from his closed-door deposition. You know, you're the commander-in-chief. You got an assault going on in the capital of the United States of America, And there's nothing, no call, nothing, zero, Millie said. 
The other thing that uh, we heard, we were starting to, was from the Secret Service on that day. Thursday's hearing featured new and disturbing video and audio showing how endangered Pence security detail felt he was. They tried to evacuate the president from a vice president from the Capitol. Now the committee painted the fullest picture to date of the danger facing Pence and his team as rioters called for hanging Pence when he refused to go along with Trump's efforts to try to overturn the election. A committee witness testified that Pence's detail was so concerned with what was transpiring that they were starting to fear for their lives, and there were calls to say goodbye to family members. Uh, That's pretty fucking serious. The witness was a National Security Council official who worked in the White House on January 6th, whose audio testimony was masked to shield the official's identity. Is the VP compromised? Like, I don't know. We didn't have visibility. But if they were screaming and saying things like, say goodbye to family, this is going to a whole other level, the national security official said. The House Select Committee also revealed for the first time that Secret Service radio traffic as agents assessed the Senate stairwell where Pence would be evacuated while rioters were confronting police in the hallway downstairs at the same time. The video played Thursday spliced together all the surveillance tapes and the security footage and sound of Pence's detail, bringing into focus how a near miss Pence had uh, that Pence and his detail experienced. Now, one focus of the select committee's hearing was the presidential actions that were taken on January 6th, not by Trump, but by Pence. Yeah, Trump didn't do jack shit, but Pence tried to do some things. I, I, I guess you would be motivated if uh, you've got a crowd of fucking people with torches and fucking uh, a gallows wanting to hang you. That might be motivation to speak up. The committee emphasized how Trump did not try to call law enforcement or military officials on January 6th, while Pence, whose life was endangered by rioters, worked the phone, speaking to Milley, and then acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller. The committee played Milley's deposition where he said he had two to three calls with Pence, but zero from Trump. Milley said he was very animated, and he issued very explicit, very direct, unambiguous orders. There was no question about that. He was very animated, very direct, very firm to Secretary Miller. Get the military down here. Get the guard down here. Put down this situation. That's Pence, not Trump. Trump was sitting eating a Big Mac, watching it and having a fucking good time watching TV, watching these people fight for him. Now, Luria painted a direct contrast to what Trump did on January 6th. The president didn't give a call, the vice president or anyone in the military, federal law enforcement, D.C. government, not a single person. Now, the committee's comparison between Trump and Pence underscores how Trump is still angry with his vice president over January 6th. Politically, Pence has gone against Trump in several primaries ahead of possible 2024 presidential contests. The former vice president has endorsed Republicans who rejected Trump's false claims of fraud, including Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, 
who defeated a Trump-backed primary challenge, and Arizona Republican Karen Taylor Robinson, who is running in the state's gubernatorial primary against a Republican who has embraced Trump's lies. So you see what Pence is trying to do here. He's trying to separate himself. Now, let me just say this about uh, Pence. Pence did the right thing on January 6th. Trump or Pence is trying to undermine Trump by his endorsements for these primaries. But let's be honest, for fucking four years, Pence has been Donald Trump's lapdog. He did whatever Donald Trump asked him. In fact, when it came to trying to overturn the election and not certify the vote, before he did the right thing, he spent a lot of time looking around trying to figure out how he could actually pull it off. It wasn't until he realized that there was no legal way he could do it that he did the right thing. So don't give Pence too much fucking credit. The committee, which counts two anti-Trump Republicans, as we know, Kinzinger and Liz Cheney of Wyoming, has painted Pence as one of the key officials who stood up to Trump after he lost the 2020 election. He did stand up to Trump, but not after trying to help Trump. The committee also included in its hearing Thursday a clip of Joe Biden on January 6th condemning the violence in what was a subtle nod to Biden acting presidential before in comparison to Trump before he was inaugurated as president. Now, as I've told you before, there's some people in Congress that got some shit to hide about this, and apparently the committee is going after congressional Republicans again, as as I suggested earlier. The committee threw several several sharp elbows at uh, congressional Republicans during Thursday's hearing, taking on House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and other allies of Trump. The committee played audio clips, which had been disclosed previously, where McCarthy spoke his conversation with Trump after January 6th and said he was considering advising him to resign. The committee also played a video clip from the deposition of Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, in which Kushner said that McCarthy was scared amid the unfolding violence at the Capitol. In addition, the panel spotlighted Senator Josh Hawley. I love this one. This was fucking hilarious. The Missouri Republican who led the Senate's objection to the election results on January 8th. The panel showed a well-known photo of Hawley raising his fist toward the rioters outside the Capitol the morning of January 6th, as as if in solidarity. (laughs) Immediately afterward, the panel played a video showing Hawley running out of the Senate chamber and played it a second time in slow motion to emphasize that 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 bolting of Josh Hawley. Later that night, Hawley forced debate on Pennsylvania election results and voted against certifying them. So he's Mr. Tough Guy at first, but when the fucking walls come crashing in, <laughs> he, he's running like Usain Bolt. The panel's two Republicans, Kinzinger and Cheney, have been vocal critics of McCarthy as they have been ostracized. You know, they censured uh, Kevin McCarthy censured both of them. Both could be out of Congress next year. Kinzinger is retiring, and Cheney is facing a Trump-backed primary challenge in Wyoming. Kinzinger co-led Thursday's hearing. 
Now, the committee has previously gone after congressional Republicans for their role aiding Trump's efforts to overturn the election, including seeking pardons after January 6th. Yeah, they didn't do anything wrong, but, you know, throw me a pardon. What the fuck? Maybe just in case, you know, just in case. And the committee's clashes with McCarthy run far beyond the hearings. The committee has subpoenaed five Republicans, including McCarthy, in an unprecedented move. Now, here's the one we knew was coming. Now, the January 6th committee on Thursday provided new evidence to back up the explosive testimony of former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson. Remember that one, how well that went. She publicly described Trump's angry interactions with the Secret Service detail after Trump was told he could not go to the Capitol. Luria said the committee had information from two additional sources to partially corroborate Hutchinson's testimony that Trump lunged at the Secret Service detail. One of the witnesses, Lurie said, is a former White House employee with national security responsibilities. Well, the, I, I, I'm guessing they're going to be interviewed at some point down the road. While the individual was not named, Luria said that the official testified that Tony Orinato, then Trump White House Deputy Chief of Staff and a current member of the Secret Service, told him the same story that Hutchinson testified Orinato had told her, that Trump was irate when Robert Engel, the Secret Service agent in charge on January 6th, would not take him to the Capitol. The second witness was retired Washington, D.C. Police Sergeant Mark Robinson, who was in Trump's motorcade that day. Robinson testified that the Secret Service agent responsible for the motorcade had said that Trump had a heated discussion with his detail about going to the Capitol. Donald Trump said it never happened. Cassidy Hutchinson said it did. And now she's got some corroboration. Robinson added that he had been in over 100 motorcades with Trump and had never heard of that type of exchange before January 6th. Hutchinson's testimony about Trump lunging at his Secret Service detail has become a key point that Trump's allies have tried to use to discredit the investigation. All this other evidence, and they say, oh, that never happened. That's just hearsay. That's just just a lie. Well, you know, that's what they do. They forget about the important stuff. They focus on this one little thing that really doesn't matter at all when it comes to potentially indicting Donald Trump. But Donald Trump sees it as making him look bad, so he's making it a big deal. While the detail about Trump lunging toward a Secret Service agent was just one snippet of Hutchinson's testimony, the pushback likely contributed to the committee's decision to add additional testimony backing up her account during Thursday's hearing. Luria noted that the committee expected to receive more testimony in the coming weeks about the interaction. Now, there was some video, photos, and audio regarding the whole 187 minutes that Donald Trump was doing jack shit. These were never-before-seen never videos, photos, or audio. So this was a big plus for the, uh, the committee. The hearing was peppered with never-before-seen video, photos, and audio that reanimated the horrors, literal horrors, of January 6th. And the 18 months later, 
We saw previously undisclosed outtakes of video statements that Trump released on January 6th and 7th, which showed Trump struggling to condemn the rioters. There was also a chilling audio of Pence's security detail strategizing his evacuation. The Republicans would like you to believe, nothing to see here, why don't we just move on and go elsewhere? But clearly... It was as dangerous as the Democrats have led us to believe. I mean, fuck, we watched it on TV. (laughs) It's not like you can say, don't believe what your lying eyes tell you. Listen to what I'm telling you. There was the in-room footage and photos of congressional leaders on the phone with Miller, the bipartisan group including the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sought Miller's assistance that the National Guard would restore order so they could resume the Electoral College. And lawmakers highlighted Capitol security footage, as I mentioned before, of Josh Hawley (laughs) bolting like a coward (laughs) after showing he had solidarity with these fucking nutcases. But when it came down to getting dangerous, what did Josh Hawley do? He bolted. And uh, this is this is probably it's going to do one or two things is going to make Josh Hawley louder or he's just going to shut up and put his head down and hope for the best. Josh Hawley's time in uh, in Congress is probably limited at this point. Now, of course, we've got all this shit going on with the Secret Service. All these texts and emails that suddenly disappeared from the 5th and 6th of January. They say they're gone. They just disappeared. Now, they had been asked about these texts three to four times. At first, they were turned down, and and after that, they just kind of delayed them. And then when it came down to the point where they had no choice but to turn them over, They said, oops, they're gone. We accidentally erased them. Well, that sounds fucking fishy as hell. Thursday's hearing came after a whirlwind week for the U.S. Secret Service. The Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, who conducts oversight of the agency, publicly accused the Secret Service of deleting text messages from January 5th and 6th, which are critical to multiple inquiries about the insurrection. The Inspector General probe is now a criminal investigation. There's a criminal investigation into the Secret Service. Tell me when that's fucking ever happened. The Secret Service, of course, denies maliciously deleting anything, says any missing messages were lost during a routine phone replacement program, and it says it's cooperating with all ongoing inquiries. If the January 6th committee asks you multiple times to provide these text messages and emails, why then would you do this phone transfer thing where you could possibly risk losing these things? It sounds all too fucking fishy. It sounds ridiculous if if I say so myself. Any additional cooperation from Secret Service officials could help the committee figure out what happened with the potential missing text, which has emerged over the last few days as a key flashpoint in the investigation. The lawmakers are obviously upset at the agency. Now, 
Last thing about the hearings. This is the good news. And I told you, they say they came out originally that said that there would be eight hearings in July. Well, or in June. And now we're well into July. We had the eighth hearing. The committee now says they will take a summer break in August and resume public hearings in September. I told you, we weren't going to be done with eight. There's just too much to expose. Our committee will spend August pursuing emerging information on multiple fronts before convening further hearings this September, Cheney said. Liz Cheney. And that's the problem. As they have these hearings, more evidence comes to light. More people step forward and want to be witnesses. And I wouldn't be surprised if we had another four, five, six, maybe another eight hearings before it's all said and done. And guess what they're doing? They're walking it right up to the midterms in November. Nobody's going to forget about this shit. They're going to get to November and everybody will know everything. Lawmakers have said their investigation is ongoing. Early in the hearing, Representative Benny Thompson, the committee chairman, said we continue to receive new information every day. The panel has conducted eight public hearings so far and has seen impressive TV ratings while present uh, presenting substantial amounts of damaging information to Donald Trump. So, this is this is very interesting. Now, as the January 6th committee presented damning evidence of Donald Trump allowing his violent coup attempt to continue for 187 minutes, Donald Trump basically admitted to seditious conspiracy on his Truth Social website. In his statement, I told you, let that motherfucker talk because he will destroy himself. In his statement, Trump admitted he wanted Vice President Mike Pence to reject the valid electors in multiple states in violation of the Constitution. He admitted that. And then he went on to admit the goal was to overturn the 2020 presidential election, which was won by Joe Biden. You see, Donald Trump either believes this or he believes people are stupid and will believe anything he says. But all he does is implicate himself every fucking time. This may have proven to be an election-changing event, Trump admitted before attacking Biden. What a difference it would have made if state legislators had another crack at looking at all the fraud, abuse, and irregularities that have been found, Trump said, even though all his delusions have been thoroughly debunked and laughed out of court by January 6th. As Trump issued his truth social statement, the select committee was hearing testimony about his refusal to issue adequate statement on January 6th. Wow. (sighs) Donald Trump keeps talking about no opposing witnesses. Donnie, all the witnesses that might oppose and might stick up for you are now the ones exposing you. So there's really only one person that could be offering an opposing view that has any real connection to what's going on, and that's you. Why don't you step up, take the oath, and tell us about the the truth, about what really happened. Show us all this mountainous evidence of election fraud. I dare you, motherfucker. You won't do it, though, because you're gutless. 
NBC News' Pete Williams and Julia Ainsley are reporting that the Inspector General's investigation into the Department of Homeland Security over the missing text messages. I want to reiterate this because this is big. These text messages are creating a criminal investigation. A criminal investigation. The DHS Inspector General informed the Secret Service on Wednesday evening that the investigation is now criminal and that it should halt all eternal investigations on the missing text messages. Basically saying, stop, we don't fucking trust you, we'll look at it. To ensure the integrity of our investigation, the USSS must not engage in any further investigation activities regarding the collection and preservation of evidence referenced above. DHS Deputy Inspector General Gladys Ayala wrote in a letter, This includes immediately refraining from interviewing potential witnesses, collecting devices, or taking any other action that would interfere with an ongoing criminal investigation. The letter was sent to Secret Service Director James Murray, but Murray is about to leave the Secret Service to take a job at fucking Snapchat, the social media site. That ironically allows message senders to erase them after being viewed. Isn't that that ironic? He's going to Snapchat. Well, first of all, he decides to quit now. Then he's going to Snapchat, which is known for erasing uh, snaps or whatever you fucking call them after you send them. That's that's a little ironic. So we've got uh, um, <laughs> the Secret Service in a bit of trouble. You can't just pull that shit off and not have people think it's suspicious. So we'll see what happens with the Secret Service. Um, and finally, this is this is important to mention. Fortunately, it doesn't appear to be a big deal. President Joe Biden said Thursday that he tested positive for COVID-19, but will continue to work while in isolation at the White House despite his mild symptoms. Donald Trump was perfectly healthy. He didn't do jack shit. But Joe's got COVID-19. He's going to isolate, but he's still going to work. It looks like he's doing all right, just mild symptoms. In a video posted to Twitter, Biden told Americans that he's doing well and that his symptoms continue to be mild. He he went on to say in the video, I guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID, but I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild, and I really appreciate your inquiries and concerns, but I'm doing well, getting a lot of work done, going to continue to get it done. And in the meantime, thanks for your concern and keep the faith. It's going to be okay. Biden, who was unmasked while standing outside the Truman balcony, said in a 20-second video, the White House says was filmed by a mask and socially distanced videographer. The mild symptoms and diagnosis protocol for Biden, a double-boosted 79-year-old at high risk for experiencing severe illness, will mean isolating and working and resting at the White House residence for the rest of the day, according to senior administration official. This is the first time Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. He was last tested negative on Tuesday per White House Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. All right. So Joe's got COVID. Joe's going to be okay. (laughs) Don't, Don't start with conspiracy shit. You know it's coming. Well, Joe's got COVID. He'll resign and Kamala will be president. I even heard somebody 
somebody on TikTok say, here's what's going to happen. Joe's going to leave. Kamala's going to be president. And then she's going to bring in Gavin Newsom for California. He'll be the vice president because the ultimate goal is to install Gavin Newsom as president. Come on. Fuck you. I'm so tired of this ridiculous shit. It's almost laughable if it wasn't dangerous. Just the bullshit that's being spewed. Anyway, (laughs) the fact is we're back on track now. We got shit happening with the January 6th committee. We got about a month to ruminate on this shit, to expose this shit, to uncover more shit. And then September, it starts back up. September, it'll probably go into October. Then November, early November, guess what? The midterms and the fucking Republicans don't have a prayer. Trust me on this one. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me today, taking the time out of your day to listen. We are back on track with the regular recordings. So uh, we'll keep you up to date with what's happening, where it's happening, and how it's affecting things. So you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.